And the spiritual truth of the story is true. But to only focus on the spiritual truth of the story uh, and to neglect the actual truth of the story is to deny the real event and just focus on, look, God's always going to be with you. And it's true. God's with you. God was with David against great insurmountable odds. God was with David, but that's not the whole truth of the story, right? So we're not looking for do's and don'ts. And we're not looking simply for a spiritualized version of some kind of make me feel better about myself. Third, I talked about last week is allegorization. It's to make an allegory out of the story. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm, I know this online. I'm not meaning to, I'm not, I don't have any preacher in my mind right now. Preachers are just so guilty of so many of these things, folks. Okay. And I've been guilty of it in my life too. But to, to say something like, we're going to preach, you know, first Samuel 17, and we're going to look at the five stones of David's conquering Goliath. Stone one is David's faith. David picked up five stones. That's an alley. Look. And there are people that are out there who are like, oh, the five stones are the five books of the, of the Pentateuch, right? And when David picked those stones out of that brook, he and put it in his bag, he put Genesis, Exodus, Vigus, number two to run. No, he didn't. He picked up five stones because that's probably what could fit in a young boy's hand. Right? That's all you need to get out of the five stones is that a young boy reached down into a brook, found five stones and put it in his bag. It, there's nothing else to it, right? So to allegorize it, to look for some hidden meaning, which all oh, so many people want to do, to look for some hidden meaning that was never intended to be there is to miss the actual meaning of it. Number four, generalization. Generalization is, is similar to spiritualization, but instead of looking for a spiritual truth, it's looking for a doctrinal truth. It's looking for something really about what does this teach us about God and only focusing on that. Now, granted, God is the main character of the story. And if there's one of these that I have a tendency to fall into more often than the others, it's that one. Just me, me personally. is I, I just personally will... will um, will skim the narrative to get to the God story, right? And the God story is, 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 is great here, right? That God can use anybody. That, that God is sovereign over his people and that God is continually working and that, that those who blaspheme God will be held to account that the judgment of God comes upon those who are disobedient to him. Like these, these are great doctrinal truths that are all true. And we should, and we should recognize them. So when we see God's judgment, for instance, within a story, we should recognize that God's judgment is being taught in that story. But that's not the only reason the story is being told. Just like we don't want to narrow it down to some spiritual truth that makes us feel better about ourselves, we also don't want to generalize it in such a way that we, 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 miss the, the, we miss the holistic point of the story just for these doctrinal truths. Each story is unique. Each Old Testament narrative is unique and is in the Bible for a unique reason. So we got to ask, why, why is it there? And, 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 and not simply look for, because sometimes we have these doctrinal bents, sometimes we have these moralistic bents, sometimes we, and different people are going to have different ones, right? 
Number five is complication. Don't make it more difficult than it has to be. All right? And we, we, we have such a tendency uh, to do this uh, when, when we want to know more, particularly if it's your second, third, fourth, fifth time reading through a book and you're studying it. You, you start picking up on these details and you end up getting lost in the details. You get lost in what's not there. Why didn't God tell us this? Why didn't God tell us that? Why, why, what, what, is, what could, you know, what are those pieces of armor and, you know, that Saul puts on there? Like, I, I don't know. That's not the point, right? So don't, don't, don't complicate. These were stories that were intended for general people to be able to hear them and say, I know why that's there. And so you don't have to look too deep to be able to get it. The sixth, and this is the other one that I think is very common in the Western uh, church, is personalization. Personalization. And this is putting yourself in the story. It's asking the question, what would David do? What did David do here? That's what I'm going to do, right? I need to, I, 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 I got to do this. Um, so, for instance, I mean, this is, this is kind of a, a radical thing. I mean, we, we live in a, a, a somewhat of a military town, right? I look out here, there's military men and women in the room. Could you imagine a military person reading this story and going, hmm, all right. God told David he didn't need any armor. I don't need any armor. God told David he don't, all he needs is a sling and some stones out of a brook. I think I'll set my gun over here and go get me a sling and some stone, you know, some stones or a brook. How long would that guy last? Not real long, right? Why? Because he's not David. And God is always faithful to keep his promises, but he will not always do for you what he did for someone else. And by the way, God wouldn't necessarily always do for David what he did here. What God did for David here was what God did for David here. In this one moment, David followed God and he did what God told him to do, right? David didn't take that to mean I need to fight every battle in my life with a sling and some stones, right? Because we see David later fighting battles with swords and armor. It wasn't that he was trusting God less later than he is now, right? We see lots of uh, Old Testament people fighting battles with varying military techniques. They weren't all relying on the sling and the stone, and, and, and that's, that's an, kind of an extreme example of so often how we, how we approach these things. I mean, this, this Sunday, if you walk away this coming Sunday from the story um, of Abraham, Abram and Sarai in Egypt uh, with, the, with the message that you should never tell someone that your wife is your sister, you've missed the point, okay? Because you're not Abram, your wife's not Sarai, okay? And so... We, we, don't, we, we, we don't personalize it. That's so often how people want to like put themselves in the story of the Bible. And, and we walk away with these just radical ideas uh, about how we're supposed to act. And look, God's not going to speak. That's not the way God speaks. It's not what God does. Um, so to read one little part of that and think, oh, hey, he didn't need his armor and so I don't need my armor or he didn't use this, so I don't. It's to miss the point, all right? So we read these narratives. We take them one narrative at a time, um, which is kind of the last thing. I, I think I 
I meant to say this and, and must have skipped over it. So I, I want to I wanna go back to it because I think the question always is, like, where do I stop? Where, where, where is the narrative? Because sometimes the chapters really help us. We're about to get into a section of Genesis where I'm going to preach a bunch of sermons in a row, or at least a good number of them in a row, that are one chapter after the next. We'll just take the whole chapter. And it's not that I'm just saying, oh, it's real practical to take a whole chapter. The chapter's the narrative. And it clearly ends and starts another one. And then it clearly ends and starts another one. Sometimes the chapters really help us. Sometimes the chapter, I mean, you know, chapters and verses aren't Bible, right? They were put in the Bible much, much later. They were not written there, so I can be critical. Sometimes, they, often, they help us. Sometimes they're a detriment. Narrative is one of the places they're a detriment. The epistles is another place they're oftentimes like big time uh, a, a detriment. If you, if you say, I'm going to just read one chapter, you may completely miss the point because the point was in the very next sentence of the, of the next chapter, right? Um, and so sometimes, a, sometimes in, the, in the Old Testament narratives, it'll contain two. A chapter will contain two. Sometimes it'll go over the course of two or three. And so you're looking for a major change. That's the way I'll say it. Um, the, the Kind of the points as we walk through it are marked by those paragraphs, right? And statements, now statements. Uh, but you'll notice we, we get to 18. Um, and and there's, a, there's a big change. There's a new character that's introduced. There's, there, there's, a, there's a change that happens, right? Um, going, from 16 to, going from 16 to 17, right? We've got David is anointed as king. Uh, David, David is beginning his service in, uh, uh, t- towards Saul. And then, and then we have this entire unit. So you're looking for the unit. Don't think that the story is just David talking to his brothers. It's not. The, David talking to his brothers is one of the scenes in the story. So we, we want to look for the whole thing, and that's what we want to study that day. So let that be, or maybe for two or three days. Maybe you want to, right? I, I encouraged you last week. Don't feel like you got to just rush through the Bible all the time. Take your time. It may be that you want to study this, this and ask some of those questions today, and then tomorrow you come back, and so I'm going to ask some of these different questions, and I'm really going to sit on some of these stories for some time. I mean, I'm taking each one of those stories in Genesis and I'm talking to you for 40 to 45 minutes every Sunday morning about one story. How long do you think I studied that story before I got there? It's anywhere from 12 to 18 hours in a given week that's dedicated towards sermon prep. And most of that is study, is me just sitting over it and thinking, it. which is why on Wednesday nights, whatever I'm preaching on Sunday mornings always comes out. It's why I've talked about that Abram going into Egypt, because it's... it's what I'm on, all right? I'm just on it all, all, this, all this time, right? So um, that's what you want to do. You want to take that and you want to study it, ask these good questions, and then avoid those pitfalls. I think, I mean, I know there's people online. If you have a question about narrative, I'm, I, I've got about 10 minutes I want to talk about the law. But all right, you can ask afterwards if you would like or at the beginning next week. Let's think about the law for a minute. The law is its own genre, but the law is often found within narrative. It often reads like narrative uh, in that one person is specifically speaking um, in the vast majority of the cases. It's uh, God telling Noah what to say or God speaking directly, uh, not Noah, Moses. God speaking directly to Moses um, uh, or Moses saying what God has, has told him, right, in the law. The 
now when we hear the word law, I think this is important for us. When we hear the word law, we read the word law in um, the scriptures. Sometimes the law refers to the, the whole first five books of the Bible. So when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and he explains to them the law and the prophets, right? How the, um, the law was the first five books of the Bible, not just the law. But we're talking about the genre of the law. So this is the law proper, not the law as in the Torah or the first five books of the Bible. But the law is all contained within the first five books of the Bible. It's really contained primarily within Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. That's where we find the law. Um, and when you get to those sections, you are going to approach them differently than you would uh, the narrative. The law is, so the law proper is God's revealed will for how Israel is to remain in covenant relationship with him. So this is God having, I mean, you're taking that whole story, right? This is God having taken his people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, he is about to bring them into the promised land. And he is going to say, you are going, I am going to dwell amongst you, right? Tabernacle and temple in your midst. I'm going to be there. And for me to do that, you have to live a certain way. So we as New Testament Christians approach the law differently than Old Testament saints, Old Testament Israelites approach the law because they were under the law. We have been set free from the law. We're no longer under it. Um, we're not saved by it. Um, they weren't ultimately saved by it. They were saved in faith in what the law pointed to, right? And what the law revealed to be true about God. But when we get to it, uh, oftentimes people will get to Leviticus, they'll get to those places. They're just, I'm not reading this, right? There's going to come a day I'm going to preach the book of Leviticus. I'll preach the whole thing. We'll preach it verse by verse, right? It actually won't take me all that long because we'll do a good portion of it together. Because when you see how, that you, how you approach this, um, I, 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 th I, think it's going to, I think it's going to help you, okay? So it's often found in the midst of narrative. We often apply the same questions, the who, what, when, where, why, what's happening, right? Um, but when we read the law, we have to categorize it because the law is, um, the law exists primarily in three distinct categories. And we do not approach one category the same as we, as the other, particularly because we are New Testament Christians who recognize that the work of Jesus significantly fulfill the law, changing the way we relate to it. You notice I say it didn't cancel the law. It fulfilled the law, changing the way we relate to it. So, and the different categories are fulfilled in a different way and, and impact the way that we relate to it. The first of the law is the moral law. Uh, sometimes this is referred to as the natural law. And the reason it's referred to sometimes as the natural law is because God would have to literally change his nature for this law to change. Right? So the law of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. That is moral law of God. The moral law of God has existed before creation existed. It has always been true because the moral law of God finds its source in the character of God himself. So it does not change. So Exodus 20, which gives us the Ten Commandments, is the moral law of God. So other than the Sabbath, and that's, a, that's an excursion for another day, but other than the Sabbath, 
we look at the moral law of God, and there's reason why the Sabbath, so I'm not, I'm not taking a cop out. I just don't have time, okay? Uh, but we approach the moral law of God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no graven images. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet, right? Those things are law. They are still law today because they find their yes in the character of God. That's where they emanate from. God was, t- we find we find detail about who God is in his moral law. So when God gives the Ten Commandments to uh, Moses on Sinai, he is revealing himself. All right? So when we read moral law, we recognize that it is teaching us something about God and that it is applicable. Number two, civil law. Civil law is a reflection of the moral law of God codified into civil laws of the day, most often in how they were to treat one another. Now, not all of the civil laws dealt with how they were to treat one another, but many of them, I would say most of them, dealt with interpersonal relationships. Here's how wives and husbands interact. Here's how parents and children interact. Here's how communities interact. Here's how you interact with the stranger. Here's how you react with the immigrant. Here's how you react with your servant right? Like interact. This is, this is the civil law of God. These are non-binding for New Testament Christians. So when we come upon a, a passage of scripture that talks about how we're supposed to have, um, uh, how we're supposed to set up civil government in the Old Testament within, uh, within the law, it, it's not telling us what we have to do today. Um, but it still provides an instruction for us. There is still an implication and application. There's something that we're supposed to know because it wasn't just for them. It is also for us. So let me give you an example. Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, among other things, deals with what was known as refuge cities. Um, and these were cities for those who killed someone who they previously, the Bible says, who they previously did not have hatred in their heart for. And then it even gives an example, like two men go into the woods to cut down, you know, trees and the ax head comes off and it hits the guy, right? Slips out of his hand, whatever, hits the guy, kills him. Well, he didn't mean to do that, right? The Bible would categorize that as manslaughter. It was unintentional killing. And I know manslaughter has a different definition today. Um, but this is, that, this is how the Bible would, would interpret it. Now, if that guy were to go home, the other guy's family is going to be really mad, Right? And maybe he's at danger in his community for revenge. Not that he did anything wrong, but because he's at danger, um, Deuteronomy 19 instructs Israel to establish three cities. And then as Israel grows to establish more cities, that would be refuge cities, places where this guy could go. So he could go, he could leave the woods, he could go to one of those cities. And the, the elders in that city, their responsibility was to protect him. Right, to keep someone from seeking revenge. And he could stay there for as long as he needed to, um, and they would protect him from seeking revenge. The very next section says, now, if he had hatred in his heart and he hits him with the ax on purpose, he's to be put to death. Right? So they ascribe the death penalty for uh, murder in the civil law of the Old Testament. But neither one of those should, be, should we think of as necessarily being... Um, Uh, intended for us to directly apply today, right? They they don't, 
we're not supposed to have refuge cities where people can go who unintended. We're not supposed to necessarily have to support the death penalty uh, because the law says, says so. But here's the question we ask. Well, what does that actually teach us about the moral law of God? It teaches us murder's wrong, right? Murder's in the moral law of God. But it also teaches us something more about the character of God. And that is that God is a just God. And that God would not seek God, God would not have his people seeking vengeance upon one another because vengeance is not justice, it's vengeance. And so God is the one who brings about justice. And so the people were to have justice for those who justice is required and the people were to have uh, punishment for those who, who, uh, who had murdered, right? So we don't take those out of the context and say, well, we, we've got to do this today because that's what God said to do then. No, it's not the way that they were intended for us to read. They were for a specific people, Israel, to live and apply in right relationship with God in that time during that civil code. It is not today, but we can still learn from it. There's great things we can learn about God from how he set those civil laws up. The third uh, category is the ceremonial law. These are laws primarily for how the priests represent the people before God and how the priests represent God before the people. There's a lot about the ceremonial laws. Anytime you get into laws that start talking about, if you do this, you're unclean. If you do this, you're clean. The priests will make you clean after this many days if you do this, that, and the other, right? Mostly you're reading in Leviticus, right? You're reading about offerings and purifications and you make this offering for this purification. You make this offering before you come and make this sacrifice. You do these things, right? All of this was was known uh, sometimes as the Levitical code. It's the ceremonial law. It's the law that surrounded worship. So the civil law is the law that surrounds uh, how the people live in community with one another. The ceremonial law is about how the people live, uh, how the people worship, primarily as it relates to the priests coming before God and the priest uh, representing the people, representing God to the people and helping to cleanse the people like from leprosy or after childbirth and all these things. Now, again, we don't do these things. Why? Because Jesus is our high priest. Jesus fulfilled all of these things for us. There's no need for us to be, to practice clean or unclean anymore because there's, if you are in Christ, there's nothing that will make you unclean, Right? There's, there's, no, there's no act, activity you can do uh, that, that's going to make you um, unable to, to come in here, which is the problem I have when people say, if you vote for such and such on Tuesday, you can't go worship God on Sunday. Well, I understand what you're saying, but you're ascribing a law to something that God did not ascribe. And Jesus fulfilled the law for us. All right, Jesus, high priest in our place, fulfills all of that. So what we can do then is we can look and we say, okay, well, what does that tell us about the moral law of God? Just like the civil law did, what does that tell us about the moral law of God? But also, what does it tell us about Jesus? What does it tell about how Jesus was clean in our place? What does it tell us about how Jesus cleanses our hearts? What are these ceremonies? Because this is where we also get ceremonies from, the, the different festivals that the people were supposed to have. We don't observe those festivals anymore. We don't observe Passover. We don't serve. Just this last week was the Feast of Booths in, um, in uh, Israel. Uh, we don't celebrate that anymore because Jesus is the culmination of 
both the Passover, the, fe- the Festival of Booths, the, the uh, Day of Atonement, like all that's yes in Jesus. And so we can look back and say, well, what does that teach us about first the, the nature and character of God, but also what is that if Jesus is our great high priest who made one sacrifice and then sat down, Hebrews tells us, sat down at the right hand of God, um, what does that tell us about, about Jesus? So we ask those kind of questions when we approach the law. So here's my encouragement. Don't skip the law. Don't, don't read Genesis and Exodus because those are pretty cool stories. And you get to the end of Exodus and you're like, oh, we're in the law now. Fruit, judges, Joshua, you know, let's get back to some stories. Look, read it. Because no, it's not telling you not to eat catfish or shrimp anymore. Okay, because the dietary laws uh, don't apply to us, but it does tell us something about God. God gave them intentionally. And if anything, recognize this, the Bible actually says that the laws were giving as a blessing, right? The laws were good. They were intended for good. They're also intended as a spotlight to just show how bad we are. And so as you read the law, here's a question that, that and this is how I'll end. When you read the law, read it and think this, how good would I be at keeping that? Not very good, right? <laughs> Not very good at all, but, oh, Jesus did perfectly and died making the final sacrifice so that we would not have to. That's pretty good. So the, the law matters, it just matters differently now than it, did, than it did then, all right? So that's narrative and the law. Next week, we're going to talk about poetry and prophecy, Old Testament prophecy, Within poetry, I'm going to talk about wisdom literature, even though it's its own technical genre. We'll touch briefly on wisdom literature because it's fairly simple. All right? So we'll, we'll do the rest of the Old Testament uh, next week. If you join us online, uh, thanks for being here with us. So we look forward to uh, having you back. If you're watching this uh, recorded, uh, thanks for watching uh, along with us. Those in the room, thanks for being here. I'd like to close this in prayer.